This is episode three of Parenting 2.0, The Focused Mindset. Today, let's talk about helping kids go from I can't to I can. You've been upgraded to Parenting 2.0. New expectations requires a new mindset, The Focused Mindset. I'm Cher Kretz. I'm a school counselor and a family mindset coach. Raising kids is an amazing journey and things don't always turn out as planned. Still, you get to share your life with an adult in training. This podcast will help you meet every new challenge with confidence and be the best version of yourself in your home and with the people you love. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Today I'm going to answer a question that I got over email from a mother named Lupe. And she says, my son is being lazy and won't do his schoolwork even though I know he can. Any advice? Thanks for that question, Lupe. And yes, I have advice and I knew right away I wanted to answer it on this format so I can really dig in because lots of people have this question. I hear it all the time. I myself deal with this very issue. When I'm school counseling, countless times a kid will get sent up to my office with a note from their teacher simply saying they refuse to do their work because they feel as though this is not a situation where they actually can't, but that they won't. And I'm going to share with you in a little while a very simple strategy that I use. I'm going to give you that secret that almost every time allows me to send that student back to class and they get back to work. And the response I get from the teacher is, I don't know what you did, but it worked. So now, since you're the one at home, I want to share that secret with you. Don't tell the teachers. But that's later. First, we have to talk about that there are two different types of I can'ts. We don't want to completely forget about talking about the I can't that comes when a child actually can't. We we think they can do it and we assume they can. This happens with every adult. And the situation is they actually can't. So the first step is to make sure that you're on the right track and that, in fact, they can do the activity if only their mind was unlocked to do so. And so look into that and investigate Is this activity something that is challenging for them? Is it a new activity? Is this something that they need the steps pointed out in a much clearer fashion? Or is it something that they haven't practiced enough? Those three reasons might be that they can't. And in that case, they might need tutoring. They might need a mentor. They might need some added support. Learning is happening so different right now. There isn't one particular formula that every person is using because they're more or less been driving the plane before it was built. And I don't know if you've noticed, but educating our kids is being handled completely different state to state. And in that state, it's handled completely different district to district and school to school and then teacher to teacher and even then student to student. So there's absolutely no continuity right now in the way that kids are learning. And rather than causing anxiety for you, let this release you of that anxiety, knowing that collectively everyone is going to have gaps during this time. 
And those gaps are going to take compassion and time when we get back into a more structured uh, form of education to be able to fill in those gaps. And that is going to happen. And with that, there is going to be more I can'ts that come up in your future that actually are things that they can't do. So just keep that in mind. But today, for the purpose of our conversation, we're going to be focusing primarily on the other type of I can't. And that is the can't that comes when they actually can. They physically and mentally have the capability within them to do the activity, but they're saying, I can't. And educators many times call this a child that is not an I can't, they're an I won't. And you hear that often in meetings, and you may have heard that from time to time. And I kind of get rubbed a little wrong by that because, yes, it's true that they won't, but it doesn't really pinpoint the problem. To me, when a kid's saying they can't, they're actually saying that they're stuck. Now, Lupe named this as laziness, and it looks like laziness. And maybe in some ways it is laziness. But if our train of thought stops there, then this is what happens. A child tells us we can't. We tell them they can. That argument might go on for a while, and that doesn't do any good. And then the adult might move to saying, no, you're just lazy. Well, the moment that that happens, the defense of the kid goes up, and I'm not lazy. I really can't. Well, that's a battle that can go on for days, and nothing really comes from it. And like I say at the beginning, new expectations require a new focus. And so I will challenge you to take a look at that I can't a little bit differently, tweak it, and when it pops out of their mouth, look at it as they're saying they're stuck and they need your help to be able to unlock whatever is making them stuck. And as I was doing research for this podcast, I began to look at all of the different reasons that kids become stuck. And I noticed that they fit in three very distinct categories. One I can't is the I can't of avoidance or fear of failure. The second I can't is the I can't of learned helplessness. And the third I can't is the can't from anxiety. Now, I don't know about you, but for me as a parent, I knew right away which one fits for my kids. And ironically, each one of my three girls fit in a different category. And I'm going to tell you more about that later. But first... You need to know the four simple steps that will help your child go from I can't to I can and move them from being a place of stuck to being unstuck. Step one is to investigate the problem. Step two is to validate their problem. Three is to activate or get in action. And four is to celebrate when they take action. I realized as I was coming up with these four that three of the four ended in eight. It was investigate, validate, and celebrate. The third one I originally had get in action. And then I thought, well, 
there's got to be something that ends in the same thing. That just makes it so much more easy to remember and beautiful, right? So I was like, actionate, I just don't know. And then I thought of activate. We got to activate it, right? We got to put it in action. And that's going to work for the sake of our memory, remembering these four steps. So it's investigate, validate, activate, celebrate. And now that you know those steps, we're going to go back and dive into each one of the three I can'ts and see how we can use those steps with each one of those types of kids. So the first I can't, the can't of avoidance and the fear of failure. In order to illustrate this, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my daughter, Bella. She loves learning. She's incredibly independent. and She loves being a helper. She's intuitive and she reads people's face and their emotion and what they're feeling in just an instant. I love all of those things about her. So it surprised me so much when I started seeing the I can'ts come out in her in the last few weeks. You see, it all started when I got a text from her teacher and she said, Bella has only turned in a couple of assignments. Is there anything that I can help you with? And this was so perplexing to me because my daughter was on the computer learning and she would come tell me about what she's learning. She's in sixth grade and she'd tell me about the Greek gods and everything that she's reading about. And it didn't make any sense. So it was clear her and I needed to have a discussion. That's the last kind of text that I want to read from her teacher. But I had to breathe and relax and bring Bella in and read her the text. And she said, I'm doing my work. I'm studying. That should be enough. Should be enough. Hmm. What does that mean? And then it started. She said, I can't. I can't do this. I just can't. As we started to investigate, and I asked her, what is making you stuck? She answered and said a few things, and then I kept asking more because I just wanted to dig a little deeper. And finally, a tear rolled down her face. And she said, Mom, what happens if I'm getting it wrong? What happens if I turn it in and it's not what the teacher wanted? I don't know. I can't see her. I only see her in these Zoom calls. And I realized what was going on. This was an exact picture of her avoiding because she had a fear of failure. And I immediately remembered that I'd seen this before, specifically in third grade. And I remember that she would construct these barriers that she would put around her work. So I asked her, why are you putting up barriers and constructing walls around your work? Are there kids cheating off you? And she said, no, I don't want anyone to see it until it's done because I like to work through things and I only want them to see it when I know that it's right. And that was the first time that we worked through her issue of wanting to avoid being wrong and just turn things in when right because she doesn't like failure. In the years to come, she had teachers that gave her a lot of validation and she was able to work through it. And this is the next time that I really saw this I can't in action. So I validated her and I said, I get that you're feeling stuck because you don't want to get it wrong. And I said, well, if you were to get some work done, 
What would that look like? What would that do for you? What would that do for the teacher? And after discussing, I saw her eyes light up when she began to realize that turning in work would actually please her teacher, no matter what it looked like. But being that another quality of my daughter is stubbornness, she still crawled over into my bed, put her blankets over and said, okay, I may be able to do this work, but I don't want to. I want to point out that that was a win. And you might ask me, what? How is that a win? She's just digging in her heels and being stubborn. Well, think about it though. She moved from I can't to I can, didn't she? Now her I can't is I don't want to. Well, I can work with that, right? And yes, I needed to turn on a little parenting at that point, just like you would. I had to step out of the role of being the person that's helping her work through it and step into the role of the person that's helping her do it. And I said, well, let me help you with that. Now that you know that you can, I want you to turn some things in. And until you turn things in and prove it to me, you're not playing your video game. Oh, wow. She didn't like hearing that. But after a little persistence, off she went. And let me tell you something. 45 minutes went by and she came back to me and showed me her computer. Complete, complete, complete. That's what I saw in the assignments. She had turned them in. And I looked at her with a look that she knew what it meant. It meant that I knew and she knew that it really wasn't that hard. And she began to laugh. And I said, why are you laughing? And she said, because I know it didn't take me very long. Well, she has a great sense of humor, so... She was able to move forward from that, and her can'ts has a lot more often been, I don't want to, but I'll do it anyway. (laughs) Now, you need to look at it a win if you can also move your child from the I can't to I can, and I don't want to do it, but I'll do it anyway. And yes, we followed up with celebrate, and we celebrated the things that she got done. We didn't focus on the fact of all the time that she didn't get it done. We moved forward from the present. So when you're dealing with an I can't that comes from a place of fear of failure and therefore they're avoiding, the most important thing is to move them through the steps so they can get to action. The sooner they get to action, they will start moving so quickly that that can't will be in their review mirror. Let's move to the second reason, learned helplessness. You may or may not have heard that term. I certainly have. And if someone comes at me and says, oh, your child must have learned helplessness, it kind of feels as though they're telling me that I've done something to teach them to be helpless. But what's interesting is if you understand the definition of learned helplessness, it doesn't make you feel defensive anymore if your child is dealing with I can't because of that exact problem. You see, our brain is such an interesting mechanism, and it looks for patterns. And any time it sees a pattern, it notices it the next time that pattern happens. A lot of times, when we have a child that has needed help for something, or has failed and then gotten help and then, it's, and then finds success, to the brain, that means, hey, the next time you need to get help again. Simple as that. And they will keep using that method of solving problems 
until it doesn't work anymore. And once it doesn't work anymore, what do they say? I can't do it. Because the only thing their brain has ever known is the pattern that has been set before them of you went to get help and then you were able to do it. Without that help, you can't do it. So the idea with this to help your child get unstuck from a place of learned helplessness is to identify where that is coming from. In order to illustrate this, I want to introduce you to my middle child, Cassidy. Cassidy is all grown up now and in college, but the type of kid that she has always been since the moment she was born is she lights up a room. She's fun. She's exciting. She's also loyal, loving, and resilient. She never gives up. But all of a sudden, in junior high, she came down with a bad case of the eye can'ts. And it perplexed me because I hadn't seen this side of her before. Usually, problem solving was a breeze for her. She would be like, well, let me figure it out in her bouncy, positive self. But in junior high, when she got the case of the can'ts, I tried each of these steps and I was working through it and it just wasn't working. And one day, I remember, as we were driving home from school, we pulled up to the house and I locked the door of the car and I said, we need to figure this out. Her younger sister scurried inside to get a snack, and I said, we're getting to the bottom of this, and we're getting to the bottom of this now. The investigation needed to dig deeper, because I realized I obviously did not know why this I can't was still making her stuck. So I asked her a whole bunch of questions, and in this case, I said, when did you first notice that you can't do it? And we started backtracking to try and figure out when was the very first time that she noticed that this was happening. And you know what? Pretty soon, her and I both pinpointed it. It was the time when her older sister went off to college. Her older sister had gone off to college that summer previously, and they were and still are very close. Well, now that her sister was gone in college doing her own thing, Cassidy's brain was all mixed up and very confused because she normally would go to her sister and get a simple answer and it would help her think and then she would go on her way. That person is no longer sleeping in the bed next to her, getting up, getting ready in the morning with her. And that is where her I can't came from. It was a case of learned helplessness because she had learned to depend on her sister. And now she needed to learn a different pattern of how to depend on herself. And we started a journey that she had to work on over and over again. And it took a while for her to retrain her mind. And that's the thing you need to know about learned helplessness. If you identify where the learned helplessness came from, It's going to take a little while to retrain those patterns because the brain loves those patterns, like I told you. The last step of our four-step process is going to be so important with those kids that have learned helplessness. You can investigate, 
validate and put them in action. But you're going to need to notice when they have small wins and celebrate those wins. That'll give them the energy to try again when their mind is telling them, no, you can't. They'll think, yes, I can, because I just did it a second ago in this small place. And now I'm going to put it in place in a new form. Now let's talk about the third category. And that's when the I can't is coming from a place of anxiety. Anxiety many times looks like in a child the inability to focus, moodiness, avoidance, isolation, crying, or tantrums. That anxiety feels paralyzing to the child. It feels very real. Even if all the fears around that anxiety will never come to place, it feels real inside of them. Their heart's beating fast, and all they can think of is, I can't. And once you realize that, you'll be able to walk through the steps that we talked about with a little bit of a higher level of sensitivity, because anxiety is a feeling that the kids are dealing with. And I have an illustration to help with this. And in order to do that, I want to introduce you to my oldest daughter, Cherish. My daughter, Cherish, is a kind and passionate person. She has an amazing memory and takes each task she does seriously. She cares deeply about the things that she does. And she also has always struggled with anxiety. Now, remember that she's grown. So I wasn't even a counselor or began to study most of what I'm talking about in this podcast when she was born. So needless to say, many times she's my guinea pig. And many times as I learn concepts and share them with others, I think about her and think, wow, I wish I would have known that when Cherish was little. And one time this happened in 2019, the very beginning of 2019, I decided to go through a course that Mel Robbins was doing online, if any of you know of her, called Mindset Reset. And in one of her training sessions, she was talking about validating. And I thought, oh yeah, so important, validating your child. Then she said, never say calm down because that will dismiss your child rather than validate. And immediately my heart dropped and I was taken to a place 10 years prior in 2009. You see, back then, my daughter Cherish was a synchronized swimmer, national level, actually. And she was very dedicated to her practice. That every single time that we were going to a meet, her anxiety would rise. And she would have nerves that were very debilitating. And, of course, she would move past them and perform beautifully. But in those moments before, it was so important that I gave her space and let her work through it. But one day, we were on our way and we happened to be in the car together alone. Sometimes the whole family went on meets, but this time it was just her and I. And she was saying, I can't. I can't do this. I just can't. And I turned to her and I said, calm down. Get over it. And she looked right back at me and she said, you are no help at all. And I was immediately offended. And I said, don't talk to me like that. And we sat there 
quietly until we got to the meet and she had to get out of the car. And we did not have time to complete it, but I was upset. How dare her say that I never help her? And that's the way I took that statement. Because of course, I was telling her to calm down and she needed to calm down. Well, she got through that swim meet and we headed home and never spoke about it again. And 10 years later, that memory was fresh in my mind. And I realized that I dismissed her. That's what she meant by your no help at all. I wasn't being any help at all. And I needed to face that in that moment. But whatever could I do? That was 10 years past. I guess I just ruined her. Well, I knew that I needed to make up for this. So I gave her a phone call in that very moment as she was in Reno, Nevada in college. And I said, Cherish, I need to apologize to you. And I'm sure that surprised her. But I said, you know, a lot of times I realized that I said, calm down, especially when your swim meets, and you didn't need to hear that. You just needed me to be able to be in that moment with you, and I want to apologize. And to my surprise, she said, I forgive you. I did feel like that, but I know you didn't mean it. And I said, well, how have you been dealing with that now? And it opened up a conversation where we just sat on the phone as the minutes flew by and talked about how she deals with her anxiety. And it was healing, but it also made me realize that it's never too late to change your ways. It's never too late to be able to identify when you have gone astray. It's okay to go back to your kids and humble yourself and say, you know what? I want to do that differently. I want to change that. And I will say that even though 10 years has gone past, there has been times that she's talked to me and I've chose to stay away from anything that that would happen, that I would accidentally dismiss her feelings rather than validate them. Now, this can happen in so many ways and so quickly. Any time that we say something like, well, let's just move on. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Or like we talked about, just calm down. Our intention and your intention as a parent is to help them move forward as quickly as possible. But those very statements with a child that's saying I can't because of anxiety, it just stops them in their tracks from being able to work it out. And they feel like they're being judged and that their feelings don't matter. So what in the world can you do instead? Well, in order to validate, what you need to say is, I get that you, and then fill in the blank of whatever you see in them that they're dealing with. How different would have it been if I said, I get that you're dealing with nerves before this meet, and just leave it at that. So in order to move your child from a place of saying I can't to saying I can, first identify where that I can't is coming from. Is it coming from a place of avoidance because of the fear of failure, a place of learned helplessness, or a place of anxiety? Step one, investigate what they're going through. Then validate how they feel. And then help them activate an action plan and celebrate 
Now it's getting very close to the time that I'm going to help you go through a solution-focused inspired activity. But first, as promised, I'm going to give you my little secret question that helps me with my drop-in kids at counseling to get them right back to learning. The question I ask is, if you could do that activity, what would you do? Now just try it and see what happens with your kid. So this little tricky question is a strategy used in the solution-focused practice. It's wrapped around what's called the miracle question. And it does work like magic. So our solution-focused inspired activity is going to help you Be the best version of yourself. And you're going to take a minute to think about the places that you're stuck. As we start our solution-focused inspired activity, I want you to breathe. Breathe in deeply and breathe out any worries that you have and clear your mind. Go to a mental place where you can think, be quiet, imagine, and dream. And right now, Think, what is making me stuck? What is stopping me from moving towards something that I really want to do or the person they want to be or a way that I want to act in my family? What is it that's making me stuck? And if something pops in your mind, I want you to acknowledge it, accept it, validate it. Even tell yourself, I get that you feel that way. And now it's time to ask yourself that very question. Well, if I wasn't stuck, what would I do? What would that look like? How would that help me? Now, if you have paper, write those things down. Right now, as you're in this space, make a commitment to ask yourself when you get stuck. If I wasn't stuck, what would I do? and make small adjustments that can make a huge difference in your life. Now, as you come back to this moment, and you come back to our here and now, what areas do you think you could become unstuck? Remember right now that action is exactly what you need to move from any one place that you are in your life to the next place. And I believe in you and I know that your children and the kids that you influence are going to benefit from the things you do in your life to make you your best self. And it's coming to the end of the podcast and this was so much fun doing a deep dive with you on how to go from I can't to I can. And doing research, there's a lot more on this subject I could have talked about. And I ended up doing a video for my school district, and then I threw it on my YouTube channel. So if you want to check that out, you sure can. My YouTube channel is Share the Focused Mindset. That's Share, my name, C-H-E-R, the Focused Mindset. And I called the video, You Can Get It Done, Stop Putting It Off. So check that out if you want. Right now on my YouTube, I just throw all the videos that I make on there. But one day I'll have playlists and all that good stuff. And let me ask you guys, did you identify what kind of I can't your child is? 
And if so, how is that affecting your life? How do you deal with it? I really want to hear about it. Send me an email at share at thefocusedmindset.com. That's share like my name, C-H-E-R at thefocusedmindset.com. And before we go, I want to take a minute to thank Lupe for sending me that question. It helps so much because so many other people have that question. And then we're able to really dig in and figure out some answers. And I'd love for you to ask any question you have too. Sometimes I'll just answer it directly. And other times I'll know that we're going to answer this in a bigger format. And can you do me another favor and subscribe to this channel? Do an iTunes review and share it with anybody that you think would like this type of information. Doing that type of stuff helps the channel grow and get recognized so more people hear it. And it's time for me to sign off. But I want to remind you, I believe in you. You got this. And until next time, take care.